podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This morning, we are kicking off a a summer message series from Philippians called Keep Moving. Uh, For the past five years, every summer at Christian Chapel, we have chosen a book of the Bible. Uh, Normally, it's one of the shorter books from the New Testament, and we just kind of take a, a a verse-by-verse walk through that um, throughout the course of the summer. We do that for a couple reasons. Uh, First of all, we do it because I love it. Um, You know, it's it's just really fun for me. I love being able to kind of settle in a passage and see how God speaks to us. I love how over the past couple years we've seen it. I anticipate it again this year that, you know, we've sat out and kind of plotted out, okay, here's what we're going to talk about this week, this week, this week, this week. Here are the, the main passages and what we have seen happen so often is the things that we have planned in the spring as, as summer goes along and different members of our church go through different experiences. Maybe collectively as a church, we go through something individually in my life, your life, we go through something and you, you know, something happens on a Thursday and you show up on Sunday and that passage from that morning speaks directly to what you're going through. And it's just a wonderful reminder to us that God has a plan for our lives. And even when it's unforeseen or unwanted, he's still working it out. And so my prayer for you this summer is that at just the right time and just the right way, God's going to speak words of encouragement to you um, through the letter of Philippians, specifically about the the spaces that that you're in right now. The other reason we do that is um, Christian Chapel is the vacationingest church I have ever seen. Uh, I know that's not a word, but it is an accurate description of who we are. And that's beautiful. That's wonderful. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty at all. You should go on those family vacations. You should enjoy the reunions. You should do the camping trips, the go to the lake. Do That's, that's great. Um, but what we have found for us as a community is in, when we settle into these summer message series from the book of the Bible that stretch out over typically about three months, it gives you an opportunity, even as you are not here maybe as often, to stay connected, stay rooted in what we're doing, watch on streaming while you're gone, feel like you're still part of it when you get back. So um, this walk through Philippians is going to take us about 12 weeks, which if it's anything like the last couple summers, 12 might turn into 15 or 16, but we will wait and see how that goes. Uh, But our plan right now is 12 weeks walking through Philippians. Now, Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Paul writes 13 different books in the New Testament, and most of them are letters like Philippians. He had planted a church in a city called Philippi, established the church, raised up leaders, and then he left the church in their hands, and he traveled on to plant churches in other places. And so most of Paul's letters are written back to churches that he has started or has a strong relationship with. And in most other instances, Paul writes these letters to um, correct some kind of wrong behavior or some kind of wrong belief, to confront false teachers or to address division in the church. Like there's always, you know, Paul's basically the, the father of these churches, and sometimes he sees his kids doing things they're not supposed to do, so he writes letters to say, hey, knock it off. And in the process of that, he's teaching us about Jesus, about his work, about how it plays out in our life. Now, Philippians is different because of all of Paul's letters. Philippians is the only one he writes purely to encourage the church. He's not writing to address a problem. He's not writing to get after them or correct them. He's just writing to say, I love you guys. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. And because of that, Philippians winds up being a favorite book of the Bible for many of us because we all love to be encouraged. 
right? We know there are things that we're not doing so well. We know there's a time and a place for hard conversations and difficult truths. And yet there are times that we just love to receive encouragement from other people. You know that, that encouragement is a, a powerful tool in your life. And in fact, I would say probably some of your favorite relationships are the ones that you have with encouraging people. There's just something that, that brings tremendous life about hanging out with someone. You walk away thinking, I just feel better about myself. Like they, they just spent that whole lunch telling me, hey, you're doing a good job. You're awesome. I see this in you. Keep going with that. I wish more of my friends did this like you did that. Those kind of friends you want to hang out with all the time, right? They're the ones that you cancel plans with other people to go hang out with, right? And then you've got some friends on the other side that every time you hang out with them, you feel like you are the worst person, you can't do anything right, and they're the ones that when they text you are always busy, right? They're like, hey, are you free? And you respond, I am busy every day this year, um, and no, I can't. But the positive, the encouraging, absolutely. We want to hang out with those people. Encouragement is, is such a powerful tool that God uses in our lives. You know, and it's really something that we have to pay attention to because for the most part, our relationships are encouraging us in one of two directions. They're either encouraging us to become more like Jesus or they're encouraging us to become less like Jesus. And, and part of what I hope we'll do this summer is that we will take some time to evaluate who are the primary encouragers in my life and what are they encouraging me to do? Are they encouraging me to become more like Jesus? Or are they encouraging me to become less like Jesus? And then let's make our, our investments in time and relationships according to what we discover. Because here's the, the power of encouragement lies in the simple truth that what gets celebrated gets repeated. And, and so it's, it's Father's Day. So dads, moms, think of, think of your children when they were two, three, four years old. And you learned this pretty quick. Right? especially if your kid had any kind of like a, a performer mentality to them, you learned, if I laugh at it, they keep doing it, right? You learned, if I tell other people the stories about what they did in their hearing, they're going to keep doing that thing, which is why, as a dad especially, you have to be really, really careful because kids say ridiculous things, and half the time they're wildly inappropriate, but the child doesn't know it but you're the dad, so you crack up about it, right? And, and something goes off in your son's brain of, dad laughs at that word. I should say it more often, right? Dad laughed at that joke. I'll say it more often. And then you, you wind up having that conversation as a dad with your son of like, son, I think it's funny, but it horrifies your mother. Please stop saying that. Or so, like I've had this talk with my kids of like, boys, look, there are things I laugh at, but we're going to grandma's house now, Okay. And grandma spanked me as a kid for all of those things. It's probably why I laugh at it. So please don't say it. And what do they do? They say it more than they even say it at home, right? Because it's just this idea of because they know my brothers and sisters are going to be there and they're going to laugh when I get embarrassed. And, and they love it when my mom still thinks she can get onto me. I'm like, I'm 37 years old. Woman, get off me. You know, but it, they, my kids love it. And they keep doing it. What gets celebrated gets repeated. And so it's really important for us to understand the power of encouragement, the power that you have to encourage others to follow Jesus, the power that you have to encourage others to keep on the path. You see, as, as Christians, we should be the most encouraged people in the world, and we should be the most encouraging people in the world. 
Because our experience of the gospel is an experience of good news. And so it means one of the primary jobs of a Christian is to see the places and spaces in the world where God is at work and to encourage others that we see it, we acknowledge it, we affirm it, and keep going in it. We must constantly be encouraging each other. And it's, it's challenging for us, though. It's challenging not just to give encouragement, but it's challenging for us to receive encouragement. And even as we read through Philippians this summer, there's going to be a temptation for some of us to hear it and think, well, yes, that's encouraging, but you don't know all these other problems that I have. And so my, my hope for us this summer is not only do we learn how to become more encouraging by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, but we also learn how to receive encouragement and how to focus on the good things that God is doing in our life. You know the way you're wired. You're wired like I am. You're wired like everybody else in this room. We are always more tempted to focus on the negative than the positive. Right? We, we have a natural tendency to forget what we should remember and to remember what we should forget. I mean, just think of it as if you go into work, school, wherever, tomorrow morning. And between 8 a.m. and noon, you have 10 positive interactions with coworkers, with bosses, with clients, with patients, with customers, right? And, and one after another, they affirm to you, you are great at your job. You are a wonderful human being. I love you. I hope my children grow up to be like you, right? I wish there were more people like you. And you just hear all of these positive things and positive things and positive things. And you go to lunch and you're just, man, you are flying high because everyone has encouraged you. And you come back at 2 o'clock and that person comes in, right? And they are mean and they are negative and they're running down the way you run your business. They're running down your work ethic. They don't know how you ever got a job in the first place. They don't know why you're wasting the oxygen that intelligent people could be breathing. And they say all these horrible things to you. When you go home at the end of the day and somebody says, hey, how was your day? What's the thing you're most likely to remember? It's the negative, right? It's the, it's the last idiot who attacked you. You don't go home and say, it was an awesome day. You know, I had one little thing here that bothered me a little bit, but it's fine. I had these 10 beautiful interactions. We always focus on that one thing. If you had a family reunion later today and I went to it with you and I said, hey, uh, good news. I walked around the room of the 100 family members here, 95 of them really love you. Five of them wish you were dead or at least out of the family. When you go home that night, what are you thinking about? You're making your list of five, right, of who, well, I know at least him because I've said the same thing to him before. So he's number one on the list. And then you can fill out two, three, and four. We just have this tendency to focus on the negative things. And it's why the power of encouragement is not just in one time you are encouraged or you're encouraging to someone else, but it's in wave after wave after wave of encouragement. Paul really models this for us in Philippians of if we're going to be encouraging to others, it's not a decision that one time on this day I'm going to make an encouraging statement to you. It's that I'm going to adopt by the power of the Holy Spirit working in me an attitude of encouragement that flows out of my mouth, that flows out of my actions, that is constantly affirmed to those around me. This is what we all long for, and and I, I really do believe in our heart, every one of us this morning want to be an encouraging person. We want to be the one that other people say, I love going to lunch with him. I love going to lunch with her because I always leave feeling better about myself, feeling better about what God's doing in my life. We want that. And yet for some of us, encouragement is very, very difficult. 
For some of us, it's hard to be encouraging because of the homes we grew up in. If you grew up in a home where you were ignored, where you were told you're never good enough, where you never quite measured up to an older brother, an older sister, some friend, some family member, then encouragement doesn't come naturally to you. And there can be a tendency for you to think, well, I got by without it, and it toughened me up, so I don't want to spoil these kids that God's given to me and make them into a bunch of little softies, so I'm going to raise them how I was raised. If that's you, I would just kind of caution you and encourage you that just because you made it through doesn't make it right. And your job is not to keep inflicting the same wounds on those who came behind you or those who went before you inflicted on you. And some of us, we have a hard time encouraging because we're, we're perfectionists. And, and in your relationships and projects at work, you look around the room and it can be 95% perfect and you just dwell on that 5%, right? It gnaws at you. It, it, it just agitates you. And, and there's, there, there's a, a good side of that attention to detail. There's a good side of that wisdom and insight. And yet, if you're not careful, you focus so much on that, that negative 5% that everyone around you thinks you're never happy with anything at all. Right? And so encouragement doesn't come naturally if you're a perfectionist. It doesn't come naturally if you're insecure. Some of you, you think, I would love to be more encouraging, but no one cares what I think. You know, why would I go up to someone and be like, hey, I see what God's doing, and I believe in you, because they don't, they don't even know my name. They don't care what I do. If I, if I did that, they'd just blow me off. They'd think I was annoying. Our insecurities can prevent us from being encouraging. Right? And then for some of us, it's hard for us to be encouraging because we're so competitive. And you're afraid that if you acknowledge the good things in someone else's life, that somehow it's diminishing the good things in your life. And in your competitiveness locks you in this cage where you think you are constantly striving to be better than everyone and you can't possibly encourage anyone because that gives them a leg up on you. Now, whatever the reason might be that encouragement is difficult for you, what we have to understand this morning is these might be legitimate reasons, but they are not excuses for continued behaviors in those same ways. That this might be all the, the reasons why you can't be encouraging, and yet the Holy Spirit still comes to us and calls us as followers of Christ to be the most encouraged and the most encouraging people in the world. So for some of us this summer, these lessons of encouragement from Philippians, what they're going to reveal are some spaces in our life where we need the Holy Spirit to come and do some serious work where we need him to help us reverse the patterns that our families have carried for generations, where we need him to come and show us how we can become more encouraging and not just focus on that, that last 5% all the time, where we need him to come and remind us of our identity and remove our insecurity so that we will boldly speak to others about the encouraging things God's doing in our life, where we need him to come and rid us of these competitive desires that are poisoning our relationships. You see, if we're going to be encouraging, God is going to reveal some, some brokenness and some weakness, some darkness along the way of, hey, this is why it's so hard for you. And in that space, the reason it's hard is not an excuse to not move forward, but it's an opportunity for you to surrender to the Holy Spirit, to let him transform your heart and to begin to walk in his new life. You see, as we talk about being encouraging people this summer, we're not just talking about you making a, a disciplined decision to be a better version of yourself. I'm going to encourage more people this week. What we're saying is, as Christ works in you, he encourages you, and then that encouragement flows up, flows out, and has an effect on the world around us. 
Paul begins his letter to the Philippians by modeling for us what it looks like, what it sounds like to be an encouraging person. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 11 this morning. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, those will be here on the screen for us. But Paul basically shows us a couple different expressions of encouragement. The first he shows us is that we encourage each other through expressions of thankfulness. He says in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Paul's thankfulness for the Philippians is a whole life thankfulness. First, he's thankful for who they are, right? When he says that, I thank my God every time I remember you, that you ties back into to verse 2 that comes right before it, where he addresses his letter to the holy people of Philippi. So what he's saying is, I thank my God every time I remember you, the holy people in Philippi. He's remembering who they are, and, and more importantly than that, he's remembering who they are in Christ. And he's coming to them, and before he expresses any kind of thankfulness. Now, throughout Philippians, he's going to express, I'm thankful because you do this. I'm thankful because you do that. I'm thankful because you engage here. I'm thankful because you don't engage there. But before Paul gets into anything about what they do, he simply says, I'm thankful for who you are. And it is incredibly encouraging to have someone come to you and just say, I'm thankful that you are you. Right? You have surrendered to Jesus. He's at work in your life, and I'm thankful for that. Now, we all know we're not perfect. Right? We are more aware than anyone else of our shortcomings, our failures, and yet to have someone come and say, I'm just, I'm just thankful for you is incredibly encouraging because even now Paul's going to get more specific in his encouragement, and that's good, but sometimes specific encouragements can actually kind of add some weight to our shoulders. If someone comes to you and says, hey, you know, young mom, young dad, I am so thankful for you because when your kids lose their mind, you never lose your temper. And, and in that moment, you can kind of think, yeah, I don't. I'm kind of nailing this. But then as you start to think about it, it's like, oh, well, if you're only thankful for me for that, then I've got to continue to not lose my temper. Then I can never let you come to my house because I can hold it together in public, but I lose my mind like a crazy person in my house, right? If somebody says, hey, I'm I'm thankful for you because you are leading our company into profits like we've never known. Well, that's great. That's wonderful to hear. And yet it can feel like this weight has been kind of put on your shoulder. I'm thankful for you because of your performance. I'm thankful for you because of what you do. And I'm going to keep being thankful as long as the profits keep soaring. But if they don't, what Paul starts, though, is with this statement of we encourage each other by saying, hey, I'm just thankful for you. Thankful for what God is doing in you. I'm thankful that God has placed you in my life. I'm thankful for the relationship that we have with each other. Right? It's not a, a generic thankfulness. It's specific. I'm thankful because of our mutual connection to Christ, Christ that binds us to each other. The next thing he tells us in verse 4 is that we can encourage each other through expressions of joy. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul isn't just thankful for who they are, but he's telling them, the way you live out your faith brings joy to my heart. And right? that is, again, encouraging to hear. When someone comes to you and says, hey, your faith in Jesus brings joy to me. The way you're living out the gospel brings joy in my heart is very, very encouraging. And, and you've, you've been on the other side of this, hopefully. Like last week when we had mega summer camp. 
You know, we would come in here in the evenings, and I could look around and see 60 or 70 adults serving, helping kids, doing all sorts of things. And it brings me joy, not necessarily because of what they're doing, but because of why they're doing it. Right? Your acting out on your faith brings me joy, not because you taught a kid to shoot a bow and arrow or shoot a free throw or bake a cookie, but because your underlying commitment to Jesus says, I'm going to give my time, I'm going to give my talent, I'm going to give my energy to help others find the same experience that I've had. This is what Paul tells the Philippians. Your partnership in the gospel, you believe in Jesus to the point of action, and that brings me joy. Again, he's not getting into the specifics of what they do. He's just saying, hey, I I hope you're encouraged because your life, your presence, your faith brings joy to my life. And then he tells us that we can encourage each other through expressions of confidence. He says in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, a, a couple of things to notice there when Paul expresses to the Philippians, look, I, I want to encourage you. I'm confident in your ability to finish what God has, has started. The ability doesn't rest in the Philippians, their hard work, their discipline, their spiritual fervor. And he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began the good work in you, God who began the good work, will carry it on to completion. Now, throughout Philippians, what we're going to see is Paul's going to talk to them. He's going to talk to us about how we are saved in Christ. Through the finished work of Christ, his death and resurrection, we have been perfectly forgiven. We've been brought into his family. He's going to talk to us about how we are, are, are perfectly and finally saved. We are in right standing. He's going to talk to us about how we are being saved, and one day we will be fully and finally saved through the, resur- the resurrection, the return of Jesus Christ. Okay, and so what he's saying here primarily is I'm confident that the work of salvation Jesus has started in you, he's going to finish for you. But that same principle then comes out and can be applied to every area of your life where God has started something. And when we begin to express our confidence in God's ability to finish what he started, it's incredibly encouraging to one another. When we look at each other and say, hey, husband, hey, wife, I see that marriage God has called you into. And I am confident that God's going to carry you all the way through it. There might be some ups, there might be some downs. But who you are today, God has an even better version of you in the future. Where you can be closer to your spouse on that 40th, that 50th anniversary than you were on the 4th or the 5th anniversary. Where there can be a depth of oneness, a depth of love that was never possible. I'm confident in it, not because of who you are, but because your marriage was a God idea and he's the one who's going to carry it through. When others come to us and begin to express, I see what God is doing in you. I affirm that this is from God, and I believe that he's going to finish it. It fills our hearts with faith. It fills our hearts with courage. And we now have that responsibility to do the same for others, to look at them and say, I see what God is doing in you. I affirm that this is from God, and I believe he's going to finish it because it was his idea. If you've ever been on the receiving end of those statements, you know how powerful that is. I know how meaningful it is for me when someone that I respect says, Chris, I I see what God is doing in your life, and I I want you to know I believe it's from him, and I believe the things he's calling you to do, he's going to complete, not because of you, but because it's his idea, and you're just the vessel he's using to walk on that path. It's incredibly encouraging. This is what Paul is showing us. If we encourage each other through expressions of confidence, and then in verse 7, he says we encourage each other through expressions of love. He says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, 
And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is basically saying here, I love you guys. Right? It's, it's a, a really fancy way of just looking at people that he has walked with, that he has lived with, and saying, hey, I love you. Believe in you, I love you. I love you, he says, with the affection of Christ. He's, he's talking about a, a level of love in a relationship that is not just rooted on mutual feelings toward one another, but is actually empowered by the love of Christ that's been lavished on us. And the love Jesus has lavished on us, he expects us to share with each other. That's why the, the three most powerful words we can speak are, I love you. Right? On, on Father's Day, it's a great reminder for us dads. Our kids need to hear us say over and over and over again, I love you. Right? And sometimes it's, there's going to be some stuff after that. I love you when you, I love you because you, I love this about you. But what they need to hear more than any of those is just the very simple, I love you. I love you because you're you. I love you because you're mine. I love you because God gave me to you. I don't love you for what you do. I just love you for who you are. There is a, a settling of our soul that occurs when we know we're loved. Now, what Paul is modeling for us is an expression of love that pushes past our, our family boundaries and into these new relationships that have been created through our mutual faith in Christ. And it challenges many of us to begin to use those same three powerful words outside of our family. Now, for me, this was, this was and, and still, honestly, to a point, is difficult. Because I grew up in a home where, where mom and dad said, I love you, to us, to each other. But that was about it, right? Like, I, I had three siblings. Uh, there were not a lot of expressions of love between the siblings. We had to say I love you as a punishment for fighting with each other, right? Like, hey, you just punched. Get over there and hug him and tell him you love him. It's like, okay, a headlock is not a hug. Heard that a lot growing up, right? So, but, but there just wasn't a lot of that. And so if there wasn't a lot of expressing it to brothers and sisters, I guarantee you there was no expressing it to my friends. Like junior high, high school boys, they are not the epitome of emotional maturity, right? We can, I mean, men in general, we're, we're mostly not. And so this idea of walking around and telling my uh, 14-year-old buddies, I love you, was not on my radar, Right? Um, and so then I, I went to college, and Angie and I got married when we were in college. We started serving at this church, helping with the youth group. And the youth pastor there, his name was Charlie. And Charlie loved everyone. And he told everyone he loved them all of the time. And I thought it was so weird. And I didn't know, what was, I didn't know if we could be friends at times of like, man, you've got to calm down with the I love yous. You know, you'd, you'd see him at church, and you'd walk up and shake his hand. He'd be like, hey, man, how you doing? I just want you to know I love you so much. I'm so glad you're I'm like, what? You don't even know my last name. You can't tell me you love me. And so then I got to know him, and, and unfortunately, the more I got to know him, the more he told me he loved me all the time. And, and I saw him doing this to other people. And we played on, like, some church slow-pitch softball teams, and we'd play in, like, the beer city leagues where the other team was half drunk so we could win the games, right? And then after the game, we're walking out, and those guys are drinking, and those guys are cussing, and, and I shake Charlie's hand, tell him good game, and as I'm walking away in the parking lot, he's yelling, Chris Dow, I love you, man! It's just like, knock it off. Men don't do this. Right? And, and, and I, I remember talking to Angie a few times, like, why is he always saying he loves me? And she was like, it's okay. 
Like, you guys are friends. It's okay for him to, I'm like, okay, do I have to say it back? Uh, you know? And, and so trying to figure this out. And so I, I do remember, though, when we got ready to move to Tulsa from Springfield. So I'd had like a four or five-year friendship with Charlie. Helps us load up. We're getting ready to leave. He gives me a big hug, says, I love you. And it's that real quick, like, love you too. Uh, you know, like, I said it. So I said it one time, you know, and, and then uh, just kind of realizing as, as I've grown, as I've matured, as I've had these friendships, as God's been teaching me through lessons like this in Philippians of I love you is not restricted to my wife and to my kids, right? But there, there are other friendships, there are other avenues where this love needs to be expressed because love is only encouraging when it's expressed, right? You can't just expect people like, well, they should just, they should just know that I love them. When Angie and I did our, our pre-marriage counseling, uh, we sat in. The, the guy's name was Dr. Best. He was about 70 years old. And I didn't really know him at all. Angie had had him in a class in seminary, and uh, I didn't know him, but apparently he knew me very well. Because one of those first sessions we had, he looked at me. He said, Chris, when you're married, you need to tell your wife you love her a lot. You just keep saying it over and over and over again. He said, don't be like the old guy that came to see me a few years ago. He'd been married 40 or 50 years. He and his wife came in. She had a sour look on her face. And, and so he said, I asked him, hey, what brings you here today? And the wife said, well, this guy hasn't told me he loves me since we got married. And she said, the husband almost looked offended. And he looked at his wife. And he looked at Dr. Bess. He said, I don't know what her problem is. I told her I loved her when we got married, and I told her if anything ever changed, I'd let her know. <laughs> right? And so here they are 40 years later, and she's saying, I just want to hear it. And he's saying, you don't need to. But she does, right? Love is only encouraging when it's expressed. You've got to say it over and over and over again. I mean, listen to how Paul says it. It's right for me to feel this way. I have you in my heart. Right? I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. Another version of this says, I love you as Jesus loves you. What Paul is showing us is that as our hearts are transformed by the love of Christ, it transforms the way we love others, and it transforms the way we express love to others. So last weekend, I, I went to uh, Pittsburgh, had a, a quick like Thursday to Saturday trip. One of my College Buddies was doing a, a church revitalization conference that, that I went to help him with. Another one of our college buddies came out, and it was really fun. I, I hadn't seen either of these guys in about five years, and I just really enjoyed hanging out with them. It was one of those, they're both very encouraging people. One of those moments that you're kind of walking away from thinking, man, I want to do this again because I just feel so good hanging out with these guys. And as I left, I gave both of them a hug, and I said, hey, man, it's great to see you. I love you. And even in that moment, it still kind of caught me off guard of like, Charlie would be so proud of me right now. Like he would just be, I need to call him and tell him, I said it unsolicited twice to dudes while hugging them. Progress, right? But this is what Paul is modeling for us. So look, regardless of your cultural expectations, regardless of the home you grew up in, I mean, obviously in your closest family connections, you've got to be saying I love you over and over and over and over again. But beyond that, push out and into your community of faith and into your friendships and into those extended family relationships. There's no one who ever thinks, I just wish people would stop saying they love me. Nobody's ever been offended by expressions of love. Paul's modeling for us, it's one of the most encouraging things we can do is to tell other people, I love you. And then the last thing he shows us is that we encourage each other through our prayers. He says in 
Let's see here. It is in verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Two things to notice. It's encouraging to know that others are praying for you. Paul lets the Philippians know, this is my prayer. And what the Philippians know is that Paul's prayer is not something he just decided to do once today for the very first time as he wrote them a letter. But prayer was a pattern of his life. And so what I would encourage you to do, if you struggle to be an encouragement to others, before you decide to be more disciplined in your encouragement, decide to become more disciplined in your prayers for those relationships. Because as you pray for others, you're aligning God's will with your will. You're aligning your uh, ear to his voice. You're creating space where that relationship comes under his authority. And he will begin to speak to you about the other person. Your heart will grow in love, appreciation, and encouragement for others as you pray for them. It's incredibly encouraging for someone to come to you and say, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. The challenge for those of us who've grown up in a church is when we say, I'm praying for you, to pray for them, right? Because we, if you've been around church long enough, you know I'm praying for you can sometimes be Christian code for, I'm done with this conversation and would like to leave, right? As somebody starts to tell you, like, man, listen to what's going on in my life, and it's terrible, and it's awful, and it's, you know, you're in a home group, and somebody is 15 minutes into their prayer request, and everybody else is looking at their watch, and the, the, the Christian response is, hey, thank you. We'll pray for you, which is another way of saying, like, this is over, this is awkward, let's move on. But what Paul models is not just that he's praying, but he also tells them what he's praying for them. So the the other part of encouraging prayers is that we are praying specific things for people. He's not just praying that they'll have good jobs, that they'll be good parents or, or any of those kind of things, but he is praying deep prayers for them. He says, I pray that, you may, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, all for the glory and the praise of God. It, it is appropriate when God gives you the okay to share with others what you're praying for them. And the the deeper things you're praying for them, the more profound and encouraging those expressions are. Now, again, the little caveat is, again, sometimes Christians, we have taken really good truths of Scripture and figured out ways to twist them for our benefit. And so for some of us, there can be the little passive-aggressive behavior if we like to tell people what we're praying for them um, in hopes that they'll change. Right? Like, hey, spouse, just wanted to let you know I'm praying you won't be so selfish. God's really put that on my heart. Just pray and hope that you'll change. You know, bosses, it's not to go into work tomorrow and be like, hey, I, I just, I, guys, God is really speaking to me yesterday, and I'm supposed to start praying that you guys will stop being so lazy and stealing my money and taking long lunch breaks and doing such a bad job. That's not it, right? What Paul models for us is we tell each other that we're praying for each other. We tell them what, but it is an encouraging statement, and it's for deep things. It's not just surface-level prayers of God, help them to have a good day, stay healthy, stay safe, these kind of things. But we're praying that, that we'll abound in our knowledge, our depth of insight. When others come to you and start to make those expressions of, hey, God has put you on my heart, and I am giving you part of my time to talk to God about you, it's an incredibly encouraging statement. And the last thing I want to leave you with this morning is just this idea of keep moving forward in encouragement. I know it does not come easily or naturally for many of us. But that's not an excuse 
to not move forward. It's not a reason to just decide, well, that's not who I am and that's not how I'm wired. I'll let those happy people run around and encourage everyone and I'll be the realist over here. As followers of Jesus, we should be the most encouraged people in the world and we should be the most encouraging people in the world. And even today, you know, the, the way that this hits some of us is we hear we need to be more encouraging. You think, yes, I need to. And you're already thinking, in my, in my marriage, I need to be more encouraging. With my kids, with my parents, with my siblings, with my friends, at work, at school, I need to be more encouraging in all these areas. But then there's this other thing that rises up in your heart and you think, but I should probably wait until next week or so to do it. Because if I start this afternoon, my whole family's going to see right through it. Right, and they're going to think, like, that's, he's just doing it because Chris said that today. You're not encouraging. You're just trying to get him off your back. It doesn't work that way, buddy. You've got to mean it. Here, don't listen to that voice. Just move forward in encouragement. Right? If you're really bad at it, it's probably going to be awkward the first few times you do it. Right? There might even be some times that you think you're encouraging someone and you're actually insulting them. And that's where family can kind of graciously help us understand, like, I know you thought that was encouraging, but it was really hurtful, so let's try it this way next time, right? And, and you take that, and you grow in it, and you surrender it to the Spirit. The harder it is for you, the more you're going to have to depend on the work of the Holy Spirit in this area. But that's a great thing. Our dependence on the Holy Spirit is always a good thing. It always leads us into good spaces. So if encouragement is something that doesn't come naturally, then I'd just encourage you even more. Jump right into it. Pursue it. Ask God to give you eyes to see spaces where you can be an encouragement to others. Ask his spirit to come and fill you with encouragement. Ask him to give you the words to speak. And then just take those steps this week as he opens up the doors in conversations and relationships and begin to speak them. Right? I mean, to all the, everyone with a father, today is a pretty natural day for you to practice some encouragement. To call your dad, to talk to another dad, to just let him know, hey, you're doing good. You're doing good. I'm thankful that you're my dad. I'm thankful that God gave me you. I'm thankful that you taught me this. Your dad knows all the ways he's blown it. Right? He knows all the ways he's terrified that you're going to turn out like him. What he needs to hear is that encouragement of, hey, despite all that, I'm thankful for you. You bring joy to my life. You bring encouragement to my life. As you speak those words, you fill his heart with hope. And God intends for us as, as followers of Jesus to continually encourage others. And as we encourage others, our encouragement becomes an incredible sign of God's work in our life. We stand with me. I want to pray for us and give us a chance to respond to what God is saying today. Lord, you see each one of us. You see the, the situations that we're dealing with. Lord, I pray for those who come today and they're in need of the encouragement of your spirit. They're feeling beat down. They're feeling worn out. They're feeling less than. They see all the ways that they're falling short. They, they feel their pain and weakness. They're aware of their inadequacies and their failures. Lord, we pray that you would come today into our darkness, into our weakness, into our brokenness, and you would bring the encouragement of your spirit. Bring the encouragement that we are your sons and your daughters, that you see us, you know us, you love us, and have a plan for us. Lord, bring us the encouragement that your spirit resides in us, giving us the power and the ability to do what you've called us to do. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and remake us 
is encouraging people. As those who see the spaces where you're at work in the world and we call those out. Lord, we point to your activity. We point to your work in our world. We affirm it. We have confidence that you'll complete it. Help us, Lord, to lay aside all of our excuses for why we can't be an encouragement to others and to instead begin to follow your spirit as you lead us to become more and more encouraging every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The band's gonna lead us in a final song. As they do, if you'd like someone to pray with you, some personal prayers about areas where you need encouragement or maybe some relationships where you need to be more encouraging, if you'll head out the back doors and to your left, some of our pastors and prayer team members will meet you in the prayer room. The rest of us, we're gonna sing this song together and then I'm gonna come back at the end. We're gonna pray a special prayer for our fathers, do a couple giveaways for them. Uh, But this song is just a great reminder for us that God always breaks through to accomplish his will and his purposes. And if he calls you to be encouraging, he'll equip you to do it.
near your dad, your husband, near a dad, I want to encourage you to reach out, grab his hand, put your hand on his shoulder. We want to pray, especially for our fathers today. Lord, we thank you for the gift that fathers are to us. We thank you, Lord, for these men, for their desire to be the fathers you've called them to be. Lord, you see each one of us and you see how we often fall short of fulfilling those desires. Lord, as as dads, we are more aware than anyone at times of our own shortcomings, our own failures, the spaces where we feel inadequate and overmatched. Lord, I pray today that your spirit would come and bring encouragement to each dad, that you have placed him in this position for a reason. You've given him the privilege of being a father to these children. And regardless the state of his relationship with his kids this morning, we are confident, God, in your ability to make us the fathers you've called us to be. We're confident in your ability to take our relationships with our children from where they are into where you want them to be. So help us, Lord, as dads, to surrender our lives to you, Help us to embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Help us to embrace our weakness so that we know your strength. Help us to become men who are encouraged by your presence and encouraging to others that you're working through them. And Lord, we pray for those for whom Father's Day is a difficult day. It's a reminder of loss. It's a reminder of missed opportunities. Lord, we ask that your spirit would come today and you would bring grace and peace to each heart, reminding us that even in spaces where our earthly fathers may have disappointed or been deficient, that you still come in perfect love, you still come to bring encouragement, you still come to bring hope and to bring peace. Lord, we commit every father to you this morning. We pray that he would go in your grace, he would go in your peace, he would go with a heart full of expectancy, knowing that what you have called him to do you will equip him for. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.